Amen. No other name but Jesus. Good morning. Well, Nexus, I am Mike Bailey. I'm lead pastor here at Gaten, and we are so excited you're with us this morning. We are starting a brand new series called Modern Family, and the idea is is that uh, we've progressed, and there's a lot of things going on in our culture, a lot of things going on in your family, a lot of things going on in my family, and things have changed over the years. And the question is, what is God doing in the light of our families? What is he doing in our midst, and how is he working in these different areas? And over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at... What is God doing in parenting? What is God doing in our marital relationships? What is God doing in the single life? And today, you might not think this really connects well, but as we talked about it and prayed about it, we thought that this is extremely important, the friend life. Um, how we interact with our friends. What does it mean to be a friend? And you might be surprised that the, especially the New Testament has a lot to talk about when it comes to friendship, what it is to be a friend, and how we can live that out, and what is, what is God's purpose for friendship. And so as I was thinking about this idea of friendship and thinking about, you know, this is the season of graduation, and, and for a lot of you, you know, you have kids graduating, you're graduating, your friends are graduating, and it's an exciting time, and it's this time where you remember back right? Remember back all the awesome things that happened over the years, um, through school, through life, and you remember those moments. Usually it's not always the good moments. Sometimes it's the really difficult moments. Sometimes it's the moments when things happen that you weren't expecting. And I remember back to my senior year in high school, and a group of my close friends decided that we were going to do something uh, different. We were going to go on basically an adventure, and we said, let's go to Six Flags, which at the time where I lived was about six hours from where I lived. And so we, me and two other of my friends got my mom's Buick Century, 1986. Nobody? <laughs> Nothing? That's a sweet ride right there. So we got in the Buick and we began our six-hour adventure. And uh, we get there and we're like, all right, this will show my age a little bit. They had just opened the Batman ride at this time, and so we're like, let's go check out the Batman ride. And so we got on the Batman ride, and uh, it's the one where you kind of sit in it, and your feet hang out, and uh, we went through the whole thing, and then we got off. Well, my friend had driven the car, and we got off the ride, and he came up to me and said, Mike, I think the keys fell out when we were on the ride. And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And so basically for the rest of the day, we walked around the Batman ride, seeing if we could see keys on the ground underneath anywhere. We talked to a lot of people. They said, you have to wait for the park to close. Um, And so we waited for the park to close, and we were there. It's like midnight, and they let us go walk around, and they they say, well, if you can't find it in a half hour, you got to leave. And we didn't find it. And so we go out in the parking lot, and now it's about one o'clock in the morning, and we call a locksmith to come out. And the locksmith says, I only take cash. And so we put all of our money together. We were able to afford this beautiful key that got us into the car and got us on the ride home. And as we were going home, um, we're driving along. My friend in the back seat says, hey, can you pull over? And we're like, oh, why do you want us to pull over? And he says, I can't sleep while the car is going. And we're like, what? (laughs) We couldn't believe that he would say that to us at this moment after all we had gone through. And my friend ended up taking that key and putting it on a necklace. And to this day, we remember that moment. We remember that place in our life. And yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't what we wanted it to be, but it was memorable. And those guys are the guys that are part of my life still. And when I think about this idea of friendship, maybe you have those people in your life. Maybe you have those kind of stories in your life where you look back 
And you say, well, what does this have to do with family? Well, our goal here at Gaten, and, and I believe the goal of Jesus for all of us, is that we would be so close as friends that we would feel like family. And my prayer for you and my encouragement for you, if you're not in a group, if you're not serving with people, is that's how we build friendships. That's how we build relationships. And I would encourage you to get into those. Because let's be honest, in our lives, many of us have had good friendships, we've had bad friendships, some of us feel like we have no friendships, and we're coming to this place this morning, and and we live in a world where there's so much connectivity, but sometimes our friendships lack, right? And I think about my own life, sometimes you feel like you're used, sometimes you're extremely hurt by your friends. Maybe your friends do some things that really cause issues in your life, or sometimes you feel like the friend that left your friends down. You've done things. You've moved apart. You didn't stand up when you should have. You didn't show up when you should have. And so this morning, I think it's, it's a very vital part of all of our lives. I think we were created to have friendships. I think friendship is important. I think our, the world understands that. And maybe you've gone to church for a long time, or maybe you've never gone to church. But I want to encourage you that Jesus, he, he valued friendship. And he taught on it. And so we're going to look at it this morning. And the question I want to answer and, and I want you to think about and ponder as we look at Scripture, it's, what makes a good friend? What makes a good friend? Are you a good friend? Do you feel like you're a good friend? Do you feel like your friends are good friends? What makes a good friend? And so before we, we look at God's word, I want to precede it with prayer. So if you pray with me, please. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the rain that will grow new life. Thank you that what's uh, happening in heaven, um, we know can happen here in our lives, in our hearts, in this place. We ask that that would happen, that your will would be done in this room, that your will would be done through these words that you had Luke record for us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would give us right now. Lord, we have tons of distractions. We have so much stuff in our life. Um, There's just a lot to be thinking about. I pray right now, Lord, that you would help to refine our thinking, that we would be so focused on your words, so focused on your spirit speaking to us, um, that we would get what we need, and that we came here to be fed by your spirit and to grow and mature and become more like you. Lord, I pray that as we study this idea of friendship and we think about what it is to be a good friend, that we would understand that you are the greatest role model of this, and that through your forgiveness and your graciousness to us, that you've called us to be forgiving and gracious to others. And I pray that we would live that out, that we would understand that. Maybe this morning we've had some bitterness towards some people. We've had some anger because they hurt us deeply. I pray, Lord, that we would learn from you and live in our faith in you and and, and forgive. And that we would receive forgiveness. Lord, I pray that as we navigate these conversations, as, as we navigate our lives, that you would lead every step. And we know there are dangers everywhere. We know that there is an enemy that is uh, out to get us. Lord, we pray that you would protect us, protect our hearts, protect our minds right now. Protect us as we look into these words, as we dive into a spiritual place. I pray that we would have protection there, that we would be absolutely in tune with you. And Lord, I pray that we would always remind ourselves and always remember that you have won and that this ultimate friendship this ultimate relationship is established in you. I pray that you would speak that into all of us this morning, that we would know that and trust that and build our lives on that. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for every moment we have to spend together. I pray that you would deepen our relationships, that we would truly be friends that are closer than brothers, closer than sisters. That, Lord, we would love each other unconditionally and that we would love each other with a deep, residing love. Lord, thank you for offering this to us. 
Thank you for reaching out to us. Guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5. Luke was a physician. He was well-educated. He was commissioned to write a lot of eyewitness accounts of the things he saw from Jesus' life. And so he took it very seriously when he recorded this information for us. And so what we're reading is Luke the doctor recording for us things he saw and heard. And uh, to give you some backdrop on what we're going to read this morning, to give you some, some kind of um, just an overview so it makes sense a little bit, is that for, for thousands of years, maybe even uh, hundreds of years at this point, the, the people that had been looking back at this moment when God and Moses interacted. Um, in, in scripture, we're told that there was this place when after they had left Egypt and they were beginning to make their way to this place called the promised land that they, were, that, that they found themselves camped around Mount Sinai and Moses had gone up and God had given them these tablets and on these tablets, he had written 10 things. Ten things that were to define who he was, his holiness, and this certain level of understanding of, of what he expected and who he was and, and to show the people of, of, of a point of reference. And so Moses returns and this is established. And this establishes something very deep-rooted in a culture. It establishes an identity of a people. And they still today look back at this moment as a powerful moment in their history. And from those 10, um, they're, they're kind of like subtext or, or they're brought into another section where almost 613 laws are built into this. And what happens is, is, is there's this idea, this concept that the relationship that they had with God, it was one of a contract. It was a contractual relationship. I do the thou shalls and I don't do the thou shall nots and I'm good with God. I do the good, I don't do the bad, and I'm good with God. And maybe this morning you're coming to church and that sounds familiar. That sounds like what the church teaches, that you do good and God loves you and you do bad and he's upset with you and judges you. And maybe that's where that that point of reference is your point of reference this morning. But all I can tell you is for, for hundreds up to a thousand to multiple thousand years, this was the point of reference. And in this, this is how they lived out their lives. And so you had a tier, you had a, you had a place of reference for those who were the most important, the high priest, and the high priest had high value, and then the priest, and then, and then the father, and then the mother, and then the children, and then if you weren't born into this culture, if you were a Gentile, someone that wasn't born Jewish, you were even a lower tier. And so all of their relationships were contractual. I do to God, he does good for me. And every relationship within their own life was, how can I use you to get what I want? How can I, how can I uh, be with the right crowd? How can I establish myself with the right people to get me to the right place that establish what I want to be? And as I think about this, it, it connects well. Maybe you're in a company right now where the CEO is the top. The owner, whoever's on the very top of the pyramid and everyone's working their way to get there and there's a lack of equality in essence and, and you want to navigate who can help me, who can network with me, how can I get to the top. This is the view. This is the structure. This is how things have been established. This is how things ran. And then all of a sudden, this guy named Jesus shows up. This guy, Jesus, to them, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. The Pharisees are the ones that said, we're set apart. We're above all of this. We are top level. God is closer to us. We're right with God. 
And so they would approach life thinking that people are lesser than them. And this guy named Jesus, who they think is a nobody from nowhere, shows up and he starts speaking with authority. And not only is he speaking with authority, he's not just working with the authorities. He's, he's really causing everything to be turned upside down because now he's working with the poor and the needy and the outcast and the ones that have been rejected, the ones that are on the lowest tiers. He is investing time and energy into them. And so we see this picture of, of here, uh, this structure that is so deep-rooted in this, these tiers of authority, and then I have this contractual relationship to God, that if I do the right thing, good things happen to me. If I do the wrong thing, he judges me. And, and my relationships to the people around me is, I can get from them, and, and, and I can use them to get to where I want to be. And it's all about what I can get. And Jesus flips that all upside down. And he begins to say, no. I have come that you can have a personal, loving relationship to God. Because you'll never live up to that standard anyway. And not only that, I'll establish this upward relationship where you can have a one-on-one relationship to God. I also change the whole dynamic of the relationships you have around you. And Luke records this so that we can understand this principle. Here in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, here's how it begins. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. The Pharisees did not trust or believe Jesus. They did not come to hear Jesus' stories. They did not come here to see his power. They came here to undermine him because he was undermining them, their whole approach to life. And so you had two groups of people coming to see Jesus. You had two groups of people coming to see what he was doing, to see him healing all these different people. You had the people that wanted to undermine him, undercut him, and to really devalue his message. And then you had others that said, I want to check this out. I heard from a friend of a friend of a friend that, that Jesus could heal people. He claims to, that he can forgive sin. Who is this guy? I want to check him out. And so now people, now people from all over are coming to see Jesus. They're coming to hear what he has to say and see what he can do. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus, and he healed the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay, them, to lay him before Jesus. So a group of guys, a group of guys, they didn't, we don't know how this man was paralyzed. We don't know if he was in an accident that week. We don't know what his story is, but we know that a group of guys could have been his, his, his physical family or could have been just friends. They take him on a mat to the house where Jesus is. And so we begin to see this picture. We begin to see a bigger picture that Luke is revealing to us that teaches us about true friendship, teaches us about what God intends for us to be like. There's two positions here. There's the paralyzed man who has to accept this from his friends, that they are doing for him what he cannot do for himself. He has to accept that he has to trust his friends, that they are going to do something for him that he can't do for himself. His friends have to care so much about him that they're willing to do something for him that he cannot do for himself. I think one of the hardest things for me in life, really hard, is to allow other people to help me. That's really difficult for me. Because I like to be able to do it, right? 
I want to be the one helping the person who can't help themselves. I think one of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest challenges is sometimes just receiving help from a friend. Allowing them to do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. It continues in verse 19. And when they, had, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. You know, I look at my life and I feel so convicted. Um, couple, about a month ago now, my mom passed away and we had a funeral and there were people from this church. It was a six-hour drive past D.C., which is the worst drive ever. There were people at that funeral to support me and my family. That moved me. That challenged me. That was like, wow. I think I'm the kind of friend probably that would get them to the door. Hey, man, there's too many people here. I don't see how this is going to work. We tried. You know, we gave it our best effort. Let's go ahead and go home and call it a day. But that's not these friends. These friends were not going to take no for an answer. These friends were like, no, we're here. We're going to get you in. We will find a way. One of the guys is like, look, we can get up on the roof. Let's go get up on the roof. And I don't know how they got him up on the roof, but they got him up on the roof. Then there's either a hole or there's a place where they dig in a hole in this guy's roof. I mean, even when you get on the roof, it's like, well, how do we get in now? And one of the guys is like, let's just dig a hole, right? And, and they get this hole, and then they're like, all right, uh, we got to drop this guy down, and we got to get him. Look, we got to figure this out. How do we get him right in front of Jesus? How do we get him right in front of Jesus? Think about all these things. These guys were going to do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus, to get their friend help. Do you understand that they're putting everything out? Let's say right now someone comes through the ceiling tiles and, and there's a person that they drop down here. What do we think about that? What are your first initial thoughts? What are they doing? Right? What are they doing? That is a high risk if he lands there and Jesus says, Look, um, I don't know why you're here, but I, I'm not going to help you. Or I can't help you, or I, I will not help you. These friends were so committed, so committed to their friend, that they were willing to put everything on the line for him. They were willing to go as far as humanly possible for him. They were willing to say, no matter what, we trust each other, and we're going to put our trust in this guy, Jesus. We trust each other, Paralyzed guy has to trust his friends. The friends have to trust Jesus. We're going to put our trust in each other and in Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. This is like the really awesome part. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, what did he say? He said what? When Jesus saw their faith, he said, what? Friend. Jesus called him friend. 
Like he didn't call him stranger who's dropped in in front of me. What are you doing? When Jesus looked up and he sees there's some guys in the ceiling who've dropped their paralyzed friend in front of him, he looks to the friend and he says, you are now my friend. You are now my friend. Do you understand how this flips everything upside down? It's not a contract with God where I do the do's and don't do the don'ts. It's not using other people to get where I want to go. Now it is trusting each other in a way that's so deeply committed that I'm going to do whatever it takes to show that I love you and I care for you and I want this relationship to be healthy and I want you to be healthy. And when Jesus sees that, when he sees that, he says, this is friendship. You are my friend. This is what I created this to be. From when Adam and Eve fell from the garden, when God was a friend of Adam and Eve, it has never been the same until this moment when you understand that we are friends. Jesus is not the angry guy in the clouds that wants to beat you up and ruin your life. He is your friend who has compassion and sympathy and and love for you and for this paralyzed man at this moment. And this drives the Pharisees nuts because it has flipped everything they thought about life upside down. It has confronted their selfishness. It has confronted that every relationship in their lives is contractual for their own lifting up and satisfaction. And especially when he says, your sins are forgiven. If you continue to read through this chapter, they say, how dare you say your sins are forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. Who do you think you are, Jesus? And that is one of the most profound questions that any of us can ask. Who are you, Jesus, that you tell this guy his sins are forgiven? Now, I can picture myself as the friends. I can picture myself as the paralyzed man. And if Jesus just says this, I'm a little disappointed because I don't even know what that means, right? If Jesus says to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, and then he leaves the house, that would be upsetting because I don't even know what that means, that my sins are completely forgiven. I came here to get healed, right? And so what does Jesus say as we go down to verse 24? I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. To substantiate that, to show you that that is true, to show you that your relationship is now in the right with God. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. My authority is not just in heaven, it's also on earth. As much as I can forgive your sins, I did for you what you cannot do for yourself. I saved you. But I will also do what you want me to do in this moment so that you'll know that I can do both. Pick up your mat and go home. But understand that the greater gift and the greater moment of friendship was when I forgave your sin, not when I healed your temporary paralyzed body. The friendship 
the deep relationship was not built just because he could make him walk again. The deep relationship was established because now there was nothing between him and God. And the intent from the very beginning had been reestablished for us to know and live in perfect relationship with God. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. He recognized the who. Even in the midst of this, he recognized that this was an act of God. This was an open door relationship to God. God had done this for him and he rejoiced in God. He praised God and everyone, verse 26, was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. This is not an ordinary day. This is not an ordinary event. What, we, what was revealed to us, and even what is revealed to us right now, this story of friends bringing their, friend, their paralyzed friend to the, to the roof and lowering him down in front of Jesus, and Jesus calling him friend, this is out of the ordinary. This is extraordinary. This is, is the family that God calls us into. This is that place where God says, I want you to be part of my family. I want to call you friend. This was such a major revelation to the world. This is so big. And the message to you and me is that there is this opportunity for us to call Christ friend. And in doing so, we can be an authentic friend to the people in our lives. That we begin to look at the world that first, he came to us, he sacrificed for us, he established the relationship for us, that he opened this door to him. And in that now, I can be selfless, I can be sacrificial, I can go as far as it has to go to help those around me. That I'm no longer looking for how people can help me, but how I can help the people in my life. He flips it all upside down. He says, friendship, it's not about what you get. It's about how you invest, how you become trustworthy and caring and compassionate and loving and selfless and sacrificial. This new relationship that I'm establishing is much better than the contractual relationship that you guys have had for so long. If I was to sum up this teaching, if I was to sum up this whole idea, here's what I would say. Real friends hug. Right? Real friends hug. I hug someone when I haven't seen them in a long time. I hug someone when I know I'm not going to see him for a long time. I hug someone when I know they're sad. I, know, I hug someone when I know they're going through difficult times. I hug someone when they're in, in extreme pain, extreme grief. I hug. I hug someone when they're celebrating, when they have a great victory, when they have a great uh, event in their life. I hug them. When you hug someone, you open up and you say, I trust you. I'm here for you. I support you. I am welcoming you into who I am. And then they, in response, hug you back. In doing so, two people come together and they say, trust, commitment, support. 
I think one of the most beautiful pictures that God has given us is this thing that we do instinctively, this thing that we do and no one explained to us, hey, you should hug someone when that happens. Hey, you should hug someone when they score the touchdown. Hey, you should hug someone when they graduate. Hey, you should hug someone when they're sad and, and crying. We just know within us in the deep parts of who we are as humans, we understand this. But it's a much bigger picture than just that, isn't it? It's a picture of what God intends all of us to be like. That in Christ, now I can truly support. Now I can truly trust. Now I can truly embrace. I can truly give my heart. I can truly let you know that you're valuable, important, and meaningful. And in response, you can do the same to me. It's a powerful thing. That no longer life is about using people to get where you want to go. No longer is life about using people to get what you want. Now life becomes an embrace of two people working together for what God intended from the very beginning, this beautiful relationship. And there's, a, there's even a bigger picture of this. When Christ goes to the cross... He opens his arms to all of us. And he says, I will embrace you no matter what. I don't care where you were born. I don't care where you are in the social status. I don't care where um, you work, how much money you make, what people think about you. I embrace you. And I invite you to embrace me back. Our relationship isn't about what you can do for me. Our relationship is the fact that we trust and have faith and align our hearts and our lives to him. In a few moments, in a few moments, we're going to come to the communion table. The communion table It demonstrates his true friendship to us when he was on that cross. And he says, don't forget how much I love you. We do this at the beginning of every month because we want to remember that we are loved and we have been invited into this relationship with our Father because of what Christ did on the cross. And so when you take the bread, You realize this is his body. He allowed to be broken because it was the only way we could embrace him fully. And then we take the cup and we say, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new commitment. The old commitment has passed away. This contractual relationship doesn't exist anymore. Now there's a new covenant. It's the covenant of my blood. It is a relational covenant. It says that all who desire to be in relationship to me can. And I don't look at your sin and say, if you have a million sins, you're okay. If you have a million and one, you're not. No, it's not contractual at all. It is, I forgive all your sins. And I embrace you into me. And we become friends. And we begin to live life together. And you begin to look to me and I begin to teach you. And we begin to walk through life. And so what is established 
And what I believe is so important that the reason we never take this lightly, the reason that we don't just do this to do this, is because this is the establishing point where we become right with God and our relationship begins. My relationship to him, his body, his blood has begun something in me that allows me then to be a good friend because he demonstrated it first. For just a few moments, for just a few moments, I think this is so vital. God has given you a brain, he's given you a heart, and he's given you a soul. And I think part of worship is taking those things and focusing on him and really allowing these truths to soak into you. This isn't just bread. This isn't just a cup. These are symbols of something much greater, much more profound. For a few moments, just a few moments, would we be silent and allow our minds and our hearts to be in tune with that, to listen to that, to just focus on that and consider what that really means. Would you close your eyes? God, please show us. Please speak to us. Please help us now to truly focus in on what you have done. Father, as we come to this place where we remember you and we realize that what you did 2,000 years ago is as important and relevant today as it's ever been. And so, Lord, help us to, to truly understand this, that you, by, by willingly going to the cross, shedding your perfect blood, that you establish something new for all of us, this friendship this relationship, this family that we belong to. Lord, help us to know that and to love you more. And Lord, to give up those things that separate us, give up those things that distract us and, and focus our hearts and minds on the things that give us life, the things that you bring into our lives. Lord, thank you for this story about these friends and their commitment and your commitment. And Lord, we ask that you would build this kind of commitment into all of us. That as we think about the cross, how you went there, you paid for it. That we would live sacrificial lives knowing that you sacrificed for us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. That you did this for all of us. As we sing this song, we're going to invite you to come to one of the stations and there you'll take the bread and you'll take the cup. If there's a 
a doubt in your mind or if you can't think of a place in your life where you embraced Christ and said, yes, I want you into my life. I want you to be my Lord. I would encourage you. I mean, I was there. I would encourage you. You don't need to come forward. Don't feel pressure from anyone else. But if you've made that decision and you know that he embraced you and he saved you and you've repented and given your heart and life to him, I believe this is such an important thing that we do. That as you come in reverence to him and reverence to to what this is all about, I pray that, that we would all be completely focused, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, and what we're doing. And that in those moments, we would know what it means to be his friend and what he did so that he could call us that. And so as we sing, we invite you to come and partake in communion.